Get informed, get inspired, and get connected. CannabisRadio.com presents NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. The National Cannabis Industry Association is the only national trade organization representing the businesses of the legal cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice covers a range of topics, including the rapidly evolving political and policy changes that affect our industry, news and events of importance to cannabis professionals, and features on companies, individuals, and campaigns at the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now. Hello, thanks for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore, and I'm the Communications Projects Manager at the National Cannabis Industry Association. It's my pleasure to introduce my guest today, Adam Smith of the Craft Cannabis Alliance, and so much more, based in Oregon. Great to have you on the show today, Adam. Oh, Bethany, thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to talking more today about what's going on in Oregon, uh, but let's let's start by learning more about you and your background and what kinds of experiences uh, you had before getting involved in the cannabis industry? Oh, that's, uh, that's a lot of years to cover, so we'll do it quickly. Um, I really come from the drug policy reform movement. Originally, I got involved in mm-hmm. drug policy reform in the early 90s uh, and ended up um, in the early days at a place called Drug, um, drug Reform Coordination Network, DRCNet, which is now StopTheDrugWar.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started publishing a weekly news magazine covering the drug war and drug policy from the reform perspective. Um, And it was really early in the days of the internet and there wasn't anything like that out there. And so it really became um, an interesting center where we were covering and getting, I was getting to interact with and speak with people doing needle exchange and prison reform and cannabis and psychedelics. And it was just incredible experience. Um, And uh, during that time, uh, Clinton uh, President Clinton signed the Higher Education Act, which eliminated federal financial aid eligibility uh, for any student for any drug conviction. So if you had gotten mm-hmm. popped with a dime bag when you were 15, you were lifetime now ineligible for federal financial aid. And so we launched um, a campaign. We put out a resolution and we launched a campaign through students uh, that were on our list and and sent them a resolution, said, go to your student governments and your administration and get them to sign on to this. And the response was amazing. And we had dozens of campuses started to organize and out of that uh, we launched something called students for sensible drug policy um, which is you know still around and and some of your listeners may know or maybe alumni um, and is now in 30 countries which I did not grow it to that Um, but so that's my that's where I come from and in the years in between I've done other nonprofit work in civic engagement and uh, expanding vote by mail and I've worked for labor unions Um, but the a couple of years ago, a few years ago, when things got legal here, uh, I got really interested in diving back into drug policy um, and was watching uh, watching the industry begin to emerge here from the medical community and from the illicit world. And, um, and it became clear that we needed to organize. Uh, and so we started the, um, we started the Craft Cannabis Alliance. And um, now... Uh, I won't get too far ahead since I, we're gonna, I guess we'll talk about that. But that's, that's really my background. And so I come to this from po- the policy side. Uh, but I think that how um, legalization happens and how the industry emerges is really important on the policy side as we look to end the drug war in addition to uh, making cannabis available to folks. 
Yes, that is great. I love hearing that. Um, I'm, I'm familiar with uh, Stop the Drug War. And of course, I think a lot of people in the industry have heard of SSDP, Students for Sensible Drug Policy, which is uh, headed up currently by the lovely Betty Aldworth. Betty Aldworth. She's oh, doing we, great. We're so happy to have her. And have we love her. Betty. <laughs> yeah, we do. Uh, I'm going to speak to her tomorrow. I'm doing a podcast with Betty tomorrow on Marijuana Today with uh, Chris Lolliker and, and uh, Grassroots Dan Goldman. And so I'll be talking to Betty. Oh, that's great. Oh, yeah. So um, SSDP is a great organization to support um, if you're looking to support an organization that's not industry per se um, and you want to you wanna do kind of the grassroots stuff. SSDP is literally creating the cannabis industry's future leaders. Uh, some of these people are probably going to go into policy or start their own businesses or in some way, shape or form, do something once they graduate college <laughs> to serve the cannabis industry. So um, that's great. Th thanks for uh, telling us about your background there. Um, so you, you mentioned you uh, got curious about cannabis again once legalization in Oregon hit and you formed the Craft Cannabis Alliance, is that right? That is, that is true. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. I, I had a little detour from policy uh, and did some work with a friend of mine who's in the wine industry and he was bringing uh, craft beer and artisan wine from Oregon and the Pacific Northwest to Hawaii. And I got to go over there and do a bunch of work with that. And it became clear to me what the craft brand meant and what the Oregon brand meant. And, and, um, and so when I got back from doing that, uh, everyone was talking about, oh, this is Oregon's next great craft industry. Mm -hmm. And I sort of looked around and thought, well, maybe, or it could end up being, you know, a dozen Canadian agribusinesses that wipe everybody out and that mm. seem to be headed possibly in that direction. And so um, as an organizer, um, I thought, well, we should lift up the craft industry. We, we have it here, right? And, and But the first thing we need to do is, is identify what that is. We sort of know it when we see it. And it really came down to um, folks that had companies that were that were majority locally owned, that were connected to communities and that um, shared a set of values. And those values really came down to um, people who are committed to ethical business and employment practices, to sustainability, uh, to positive community engagement and to ending the drug war. And if you were local and you um, and those were values you shared, then then as far as we're concerned, you are part of the craft industry here. And so um, and so we started to do that and do that organizing. And initially we thought, well, you know, we should tell Oregonians that there's a difference um, between you know, everything is grown in the state, right? But there's a difference between between um, cannabis that's grown um, by local farmers and cannabis that's grown, you know, by a Toronto bank account. I mean, no offense to the Canadians uh, who are our friends, but, uh, and that folks should support the local, which is actually uh, a real strong Oregon value, right? We, we really do support local businesses. And so we thought we need to let people know that, that there is a local industry here that's values driven. Um, but over the first three harvests or so, um, the glut became so bad uh, that it became clear that even if every Oregonian in the state bought nothing but local, it still wasn't going to save the local industry. They're just the prices mm -hmm. had crashed. And, you know, it, it's interesting. Oregon, when we legalized cannabis, we did something. Oregon did something that was very wise, I think, and very Oregonian, which is we legalized the industry we had. Right. Oregon and Northern California have been the producers of the, the vast majority of domestically grown cannabis for as far back as anyone can remember. Mm -hmm. Right. And so 
by the time Oregon legalized for adult use, they had a 20-year medical. We had a 20-year medical program here, and mm-hmm. gener- literally generations of growing, you know, before that. And uh, and so we had 3,500 registered medical growers, and we knew we had thousands of unregistered growers. And the state, rather than try to go corporate and say, show us that you have $20 million and you can have one of a dozen licenses, they actually, Oregon made licenses cheap and unlimited and actually ran a marketing campaign aimed at growers that's called Go Legal. Hmm. And the message was, we know you're out there, whether you're registered medical or you're not registered at all, come in out of the cold, come be part of the legal industry. And yeah, and that was important because because cannabis has been such an important economic driver in some of the poorest um, rural and agricultural regions of the state, and it, particularly since um, since timber sort of went out, right? And so this was this was important. And so rather than try to wipe that out, which of course eighty years of prohibition do, they invited it in, and and thousands of people jumped in and and put everything on the line to be part of this legal industry. Um, but what we didn't think through entirely when we is that when we legalized the industry we had here, the industry we had here was an export industry, and had always been an export industry. And suddenly, gotcha. yeah, suddenly all of that cannabis and more was now hemmed into a market of three point nine million people. And oh my goodness, we have a million extra pounds of cannabis. How did that happen? Right. right? And so now we start talking about, oh, there's an oversupply problem. Um, But the framing on this is important. It's not really an oversupply problem. It's a market access problem, right? And, you know, because if we could, if if cannabis, like every other legal product that is produced in this state, if cannabis could be um, sent into other markets that desire it, we would need every ounce of cannabis we could produce under current licensure, and we'd probably have to expand licensing here. Yeah, gotcha. So Craft Cannabis Alliance is working to focus on the craft Oregon growers and support that locally controlled craft industry is what it sounds like. Right. I, you know, and it's not just growers, right? It's it's producers, um, you know, it's all license types. But the, the truth is what we're looking at is that Oregon and, and Northern California are really the only sort of indigenous scaled up producing region in the country, right? And so there's something here that is, um, that's important, that's connected to communities, that is connected to this incredible talent base and this incredible terroir to grow some of the world's best cannabis. And, you know, because of this oversupply and the price crash, because of, um, you know, the glut, we are the folks that are really hurting here and the folks in California, I think, that are going to be facing the same thing soon um, are the locals, are the folks that don't have access to capital markets, mm-hmm. right? And so we have, you know, when, when the oversupply problem happened, I, I started to say, you know, the framing is important because if we call it oversupply, then the answers we come to are all, all hurt farmers. How do we have fewer of those people or fewer licenses and how do we make them produce less? But when we understand that it's a political problem and a market access problem, right. the answers we come to are, are more expansive. They are, how do we get our political leaders to stand up with us and demand that we be able to access other markets as we have always done Absolutely. with cannabis from Oregon. And so, uh, and so we began the process of moving toward uh, licensed interstate transfers between legal states. Um, and, uh, and the first yeah, thing- Yeah, let's, uh, let's definitely talk more about that after the commercial break. Uh, we do need to give some time to our sponsors. So uh, hold that thought. We'll be right back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. Stay tuned. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. 
In 2018, the National Cannabis Industry Association saw a 60% increase in congressional co-sponsorship of their priority legislation, the federal legalization of hemp, as well as the election of a new Congress expected to be more cannabis friendly. NCIA will host our ninth annual Cannabis Industry Lobby Days, May 21st through 23rd in Washington, D.C. Join in, advocate for our industry, and forge a unified front with the industry's most politically engaged leaders. NCIA members from across the country descend on Capitol Hill for our annual Lobby Days event to tell their stories and advocate for federal reforms needed for our industry to reach its full potential. Make your plans now to be at the National Cannabis Industry Association's 9th Annual Cannabis Industry Lobby Days in Washington, D.C. Register for Lobby Days and learn how NCIA works to advance the cannabis industry's policy agenda every day at www.thecannabisindustry.org slash lobby days 2019. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Educate, empower, and engage in the evolution of the cannabis industry. Join thousands of industry professionals on August 3rd and 4th in Miami, Florida for the return of the U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo inside the Hyatt Regency in downtown Miami. Register before May 1st for an early bird discount of 50% off now at usccexpo.com. That's usccexpo.com. Join us for the 2019 U.S. Cannabis Conference and Expo August 3rd and 4th in Miami. Register now at usccexpo.com. Expo.com. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio, and we've been diving in with Adam Smith from the Craft Cannabis Alliance about what's going on in Oregon uh, and how it produces some really great cannabis, as does Northern California, but there's some federal prohibition issues, of course, that are preventing the market from truly thriving. So let's talk more about that. Um, From what I understand, Oregon is seeking a legislative process at this point surrounding allowing exportation of cannabis out of the state, which you mentioned before the commercial break. Um, so let's let's back up and talk more about how all this came about. Um, Oregon's overflowing with cannabis. It's growing faster than it can be consumed by Oregonians. Is that right? Try as we might. Yes. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so there's there's plenty of legal issues to be surmounted. Um, it's important to talk about the current state of federal prohibition, which doesn't allow cannabis to cross state lines. I believe that was lined out in the Cole Memorandum as well, uh, even between legal states. So you can't even 
between California, Washington, and Oregon, you can't you can't even move it between those states. So these are creating these standalone markets that literally only serve itself within state lines and try as you might, as you said, you know, I get it. So what it, what is the impact it's having on the farmers and the dispensaries? Well, obviously here uh, we have seen prices crash. Uh, and so that has made everything very difficult for everyone. Um, you know, partic- the product makers and the farmers particularly, um, you know, are stuck in a, are stuck as long as it's produced here, are stuck into a very small market. And, um, you know, and the truth is we need to look at it, when when this came about and it became clear that, you know, uh, we have an economic crisis going on here. I mean, we are looking at between half, our estimate is we're looking at between half a billion and a billion dollars in local capital that is in the process of, on the verge of, or in, at risk of being wiped out. Oof. And that's not like Nike's local capital or Intel's local capital. That is farmers and small investors and entrepreneurs and families and friends and people who put up homes yeah. and businesses. And a lot of that is centered in, in some of the poorer regions of the state. And, you know, initially people thought, oh, well, that's just capitalism. And, but it's not. Capitalism mm. is we have great product and we can send it to New York and they send us money and it's legal. Yeah. That's capitalism. We have prohibition, <laughs> right? And prohibition distorts markets and causes all kinds of unintended consequences. And so some of the un- unintended consequences that we are looking at um, are not only the economic crisis that's happening here, but the fact that there are places in the country that are now looking at growing cannabis at scale where it's environmentally unsound or even totally irresponsible mm. uh, to force that to happen. Um, we have states, we are working with you know some, some um, patient advocates in Delaware where it's legal uh, to, to be a medical patient, but there's no real access to clean, tested, quality medicine. And a, a state like Delaware is unlikely to suddenly spring up a huge production industry with biodiversity and different products. And so, um, you know, so you have cancer patients in states that cannot get access to clean medicine while we have a million pounds of the world's best cannabis sitting and rotting on shelves right on the other side of the country. So you have a patient. So sad. <laughs> yeah. So you have a patient access issue. And the other thing that we have is a real economic issue within the industry, which is when the walls eventually come down, whether that's in two years or five years or seven years, when federal prohibition ends, we are not, you are not going to be able to keep products from one state out of another state. We can't keep California oranges out of Florida, right? State protectionism doesn't actually exist in the wild in our system. It only exists here as a remnant of a dying prohibitionary regime. So, so, Right now, if New York legalizes and New Jersey legalizes and Illinois legalizes and Connecticut legalizes, each of those states will invest billions of dollars into redundant production capacity that is not economically competitive necessarily or environmentally sound, that when the walls come down, we'll be faced with competing against cannabis that's going to come from places that it actually grows. And so... It is, it is insane economically to make that investment, to move forward as if each state is going to be its own fiefdom and that the future of the industry is 50 self-contained production industry. Right? Totally. I mean, that leads me to my next question. Obviously, the solution here is to allow delicious Oregon cannabis to be exported to these places that you're saying maybe don't have a great climate or maybe isn't a mature market and would be redundant. So let's talk a bit more about the benefits of exporting and what would that look like? You've already mentioned that patients would have access to safe, clean, tested medicine, but um, what other benefits come about if we were to allow 
state cost exporting? Uh, well, you would you would avoid you know real economic harms. I mean, real environmental harms, right? I mean, in in Florida, they're they need to dehumidify giant spaces, right? In Nevada, they're using water in the desert, right? And so you would yeah. really you know. Cannabis is a resource-intensive crop, but it doesn't need to be as resource-intensive as it is in many of the states where you would have to try to grow it. Sure. And, and so, like, like I always say, you know, you could you can grow avocados in New York if you want. You know, you can build a facility. It's just a bad business decision. Or Oprah's right? farm of avocados. Apparently, she has an avocado farm now. Really? Maybe we can talk her into growing some cannabis there. Maybe. Oprah, <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> we got a spot for you. Yeah. Um, so – so the so that is you know so those are the benefits and also um, being able to move product between states will also make it easier for more states to decide to legalize right faster right because you won't have to set up an entire production industry because states uh, know huh. how to states know how to regulate retail and distribution right and we can do that and so and and on the other side of this on the law enforcement side even on the prohibitionist side their concern right now and it's going to get worse as california continues to come online is this oversupply and this glut and and product leaking out into illicit markets right but if your answer to that is to say oh we're concerned about oversupply or we're concerned about you know diversion and our answer to that is to make sure that new york and cal and 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 connecticut and Illinois all have to create their own industries. You're going to flood the country sure. with unnecessary cannabis. And then you're going to have, you know, then it's going to be, you know, 10 times worse than you're looking right. at now. I'm and doing so, the math. Totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so from all sides of this, not just from the reform side or from the industry side, um, you know, prohibition distorts markets and creates unintended consequences. The way markets actually function is stuff is produced where it is best and most efficiently produced, and it is sent to places where it is where it is desired. Common sense. Common yeah. sense. And so this is actually the future. And so our goal right now is how fast can we make that happen so we can, you know, I mean, if New York legalized tomorrow, it will take them years. True. to fill shelves with quality products. We could move millions and millions of people out of illicit markets years sooner. Yeah, than we would yeah. otherwise do if we could just move product across these imaginary lines. And so we get to, here's the campaign, and and you know, and we think we have a pretty direct path to do this by 2021, and that is the goal. Awesome. Um, yes. So, what does that path to allowing exportation look like from here? I'm, I, I, you probably have to work with the governor and with. Mm -hmm our champions in Congress in DC, like Earl Blumenauer and uh, Ron Wyden in the Senate. Yeah, we you know, we have a great the benefit here of having senators like Merkley and uh, and Wyden and and members of Congress like Blumenauer. Yeah, uh, it's just incredible. I mean, they've really been leaders, and I, I try to shout out to them anytime I can. They are real champions for um, not only the industry but for social justice and criminal justice reform and common sense excuse me and so totally agree yeah and so here is the path so we have a bill right now in the oregon legislature that will give the executive branch probably through the liquor commission the the authority to approve out-of-state transfers under agreement with other states right because it's not federally legal there's no federal there are no federal guidelines and so you can only do this under agreement right and, and state by state right state by state right okay. and the and the agreements are not complex it's we will accept your testing requirements you will comply comport to our labeling requirements but you need to set the framework for how these exchanges happen right yeah and so um and so we have in the last eight or ten months we have really changed 
the understanding of the issue here among our political class. They understand that the future of this industry for Oregon, success in this industry, includes exporting product. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that this is this is the the, the obvious way to move forward. And so um, we believe that the bill will pass. Now the bill requires that the fed obviously we need two things. We need another state that wants to bring product in. And we also need some level of permission or tolerance from the federal government. If the federal right. government is going to mow everybody down and put them in prison, no two governors are going to send people out to do that. Right. Not. So, um, but we write, we wrote the legislation very broadly so that we can, we can do this if the federal government gives direct permission, which would be through federal statute or indicates tolerance, mm-hmm. which could be through a department of justice memo or policy yeah. statement. We right? like those memos. We, yeah. They've been helpful. <laughs> They've been helpful. Right. I mean, this is all that the entire industry is running under right now. It's not even a memo. It's, it's a deceased memo. Right. I mean, it's just the outline of the federal government saying, look, if you're operating under state laws and you're doing it responsibly, we are not going to use resources to prosecute that. And so we are, we are aiming at uh, making it obvious that state that, that um, license transfers between consenting states is an obvious part of protecting the state industries. Right? It. It, is a, it is smart policy. And so we are, going, we are pushing in on the, con- on the congressional side so that we can get licensed interstate transfers included in whatever bill is going to move forward that will protect the state industries, right? Now, let me back up and say, there is a path for this through the Republican Party and it involves free, mar- you know, talking about free markets and capitalism and, um, you know, and, and how that, you know, smooths things out. But the Republican Party right now is a little bit chaotic. Mm. Um, so it's a little difficult to know how sure that path is, but there is also a path through the Democratic Party, which feels much more straightforward, mm-hmm. which is we talk about the environmental insanity of forcing every state to, that legalizes to, to, to grow cannabis. We talk about patient access. We talk about small businesses being crushed here and a lot of Democratic issues, right? We talk about moving people out of illicit markets faster, things that will resonate with Democrats. And then we head toward the 2020 election in which cannabis is going to be a major issue. Yes. Right. And so we need to we need to tell this story um, so that when the Democrats take over, it is part of their understanding of the smart way to protect the state industry. Because even if the Democrats took over both the Senate and the White House, I believe it will still take them several years to really work out how to end federal prohibition. But yep. I be, but I believe that they will immediately stand up to protect the state industries. Hope right. so. All right, and, let's take our last commercial break here, and then we'll right. come, come back and talk more about the. Uh, is it the one fix? cannabis campaign it, it is although you know we're right, we, yes yes it is <laughs> all right we're going to talk more about that we'll be right back stay tuned to nci's cannabis industry voice we'll be right back ncia's cannabis industry voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors the national cannabis industry association's sixth annual cannabis business summit and expo returns to San Jose, California's McInerney Convention Center, July 22nd through the 24th. Register today at CannabisBusinessSummit.com and take part in the most influential, award-winning cannabis conference and trade show hosted by the cannabis industry's only national trade association. NCIA's Cannabis Business Summit and Expo offers attendees three days of engagement and interactive programs. Arrive early so you can participate in our pre-conference workshops and off-site tours. 
Join hundreds upon hundreds of exhibitors and thousands upon thousands of attendees at NCIA's 6th Annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo, July 22nd to the 24th in San Jose, California. Register today at CannabisBusinessSummit.com. That's CannabisBusinessSummit.com. Now available for pre-order through crowdfunding for just $14 plus $10 shipping. Pouches, premium mixing and rolling pouches, allow you to carry and prepare your herbs for consumption with discretion and ease. These stylish pouches are handcrafted using strong zips, long-wearing buffalo leather outside, and smooth, cheap skin inside. A portion of proceeds go to fund vital medical research into cannabis for ADHD. See a demo and get yours now on Indiegogo or Pouches.com. That's P-O-U-C-H-Z dot com. Cannabis industry professionals want to gain some new leads, make genuine business connections, and get premier brand exposure? This is your opportunity. NCIA's new industry socials are coming soon to Portland, Maine, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Miami. Sponsorship opportunities available. Register today. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice, and we're wrapping up our chat here with Adam Smith from the Craft Cannabis Alliance based in Oregon. And we've been having a pretty exciting conversation about the future of Oregon and the future of exporting delicious cannabis to states that may not have access yet, may not have mature markets, and doesn't make sense for them to invest billions of dollars to try to reinvent the wheel in that state. Uh, So we're talking about, it's called the One Fix Campaign, uh, Senate Bill... 582. 582 in in this legislative session, and it's co-sponsored by uh, your friends over at the Oregon Retailers of Cannabis Association as well. They have been working on this as well. Yep, and they're great allies. Awesome. Uh, So if any listeners want to learn more, uh, it looks like the website is www.one, spelled out, O-N-E, onefixcannabis.org. Awesome. Um, so I, I appreciate the Craft Cannabis Alliance pushing that, and it, it makes good sense. You know, you're doing the math, and yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. And it is forward thinking um, where we're looking at a world where um, we're moving past this state by state limited um, prohibition scenario. Right. And and so just to finish up the thought, so the the so the the aim is. Um, again, there is there is definitely a path through the Republican Party, um, and 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 you know, as my name being Adam Smith, I get to talk about capitalism and markets, and and I you know we get a lot of really good response to that as well. Um, but for the Democrats, if the Democrats take over the Senate, I believe we can make this such an obvious part of protecting the state industries that we can get. Uh, licensed interstate transfers amended to whatever they decide to pass in, in the in the in Congress to protect the state industries. But if they just take over the White House, I believe that we can get a democratically appointed attorney general 
will will almost certainly write a new memo protecting the state industries explicitly, and we want to make sure that this is included. And again, we really talk about, um, you know, we're not talking about opening the gates for anyone to, to send it anywhere. We're talking about licensed interstate transfers between consenting states. And, yeah. um, and, you know, and there's a consumer side to this, which is consumers in all of these states that are about to legalize deserve access to the best products in the world from, you know, from Oregon and California and elsewhere. Yeah. Right. I mean, why exactly would we stick, you know, you can get the best of everything in New York, right? Why would they not, why would they have to be stuck with, you know, with, with cannabis that was third rate? Sure. Yeah. So if listeners really want to get involved, does it make sense for them to reach out to their senators and members of Congress and tell them to support this? Yeah. So yes, that yes, they, they should. Yes. <laughs> Do uh -huh. that. The, the, the other thing is, the exciting thing is that now that we've sort of gotten the Oregon side nailed down, I try to be careful and knock on wood when I say that because we mm. still have to pass it, uh, <laughs> but it feels like we have um, we have a lot of momentum and we're very confident that we're going to pass this and our, our Governor Brown is going to sign it and we are hopeful that she will stand up and be a national leader on this issue. Um, and so, but the next phase is we are, I am now, uh, we are now starting to bring in our partners, whether that's in California, to start talking with folks about supporting export because they are their oversupply is going to dwarf Oregon's oversupply in a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and uh, or but also states to find our allies where there's a desire to bring cannabis in. Yeah. Right. And so we need a partner, right? Once we have a partner that is that that is advocating to bring it in, now we have the germane federal question that we can that we can bring to the federal government and whether that's lobbying Congress or an attorney general. Um, and that's, you know, that's everything. So awesome. um, please reach out to us if you are anywhere in the country and this interests you um, from the export or the import side. We want to talk to you and we're Great. building the network for this. And speaking of uh, talking to our lawmakers, uh, before we wrap up the show here in a minute, I, of course, want to talk about NCIA's annual lobby days. It is happening May 21st, 22nd, and 23rd in Washington, D.C., and we have hundreds of NCIA members from all over the country that have signed up and are joining us uh, to walk the halls of Congress, to educate our members of Congress on all kinds of issues that affect our industry, like banking, 280E, social equity, hemp CBD, veterans medical access, and exportation is probably going to come up too. Um, and I, I also want to point out that the Craft Cannabis Alliance, as well as the Oregon Retailers uh, of Cannabis Association, are part of NCIA's Allied Association program. Happily so. Yeah. So just briefly tell us about what it's like and, and you know, what the purpose of the, the program is from your perspective and how it's going to benefit our industry. Oh, you know, it's terrific because you can organize in your state and because the industry is so state segmented, it's very easy to be isolated in what you're doing. And somebody you know, there needs to be an entity, like if NCIA didn't exist, it would have to be created, right? I mean, the, mm -hmm. there needs to be an entity that is looking to pull all of this together, uh, you know, all of the folks working on this and 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 uh, engaged in this, and it just makes everything we do more powerful, and it is also an incredible um, knowledge resource and experience resource that we can bounce things off folks who are, um, who are in it as well uh, and all be better, 
And you are a resource too. It's it's a mutual exchange of information. We learn from you, boots on the ground, and we give you resources to help your association thrive as well and give you federal advocacy information. So thank you for being a part of the program. I, it's it's going well. Rachel Kurtz is our program manager for that and she's awesome by the way we love rachel yeah we love rachel yep we've got a lot of good uh industry veterans here and in our industry including yourself so thank you for being involved in drug policy and cannabis reform for as long as you have and it's it's you know we've made some progress over the years as as we can see Uh Uh uh-huh Yeah, when I first got involved, I think 19% of the country or 20% of the country thought cannabis should be legal. Um, and we were the crazy radicals. It turns out we were just premature moderates. Yes, yes. I had friends 10, 15 years ago who were a little afraid to uh, associate with me when I started talking about cannabis because they had like <laughs> government jobs in DC. And I'm like, you know, it'll be fine. And now everyone's everyone's pretty much like oh cool so yeah anyway off we go into the future and uh the future is bright i think so thanks again and if uh any listeners want more information uh head to craftcannabisalliance.org to connect with adam yeah please yeah thanks for being on the show today adam really appreciate Uh, it bethany thank you so much and thanks to ncia for everything you guys do Thank you. Can't wait to be back in Oregon soon. It's one of my favorite states. Ah, Come visit. All right. Okay. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Until next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.